you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. I don't really have a good question for this one, because I don't want to ask questions about the suburbs, and um, <laughs> I don't want to ask a medical one, because we've already done that one on the show. What is the weirdest Midwestern recipe you have ever eaten so i don't know this is weird because i don't think i actually have had a lot of weird ones because like i don't know my 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 grandmother is from kansas originally Mm -hmm. but she doesn't seem to have like at least i don't think that we we drew a lot of like weird recipes there i mean my mom does have some weird ones we have a like a she has like a poppy seed chicken casserole recipe Interesting. Which invo- which very specifically involves Ritz crackers on the top. Yep, that sounds sounds like yeah. a thing. Uh, you can't possibly top mine, but I, I'm interested to hear. Yeah, it's 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 like it's a really creamy like chicken casserole, and like between the Ritz crackers and the poppy seeds, I could like it's one of those things where like I could eat an entire casserole <laughs> of it, <laughs> and we're talking like big casserole dish. Um, I'm a monster. Yeah. It may sound kind of cliched, but honestly, tuna noodle casserole. Hard to go oh. wrong with tuna noodle casserole. Uh, yeah. I, I, That's just delicious, though. I don't think that qualifies as weird. Like, it's a little weird, but... I don't know. The concept of throwing throwing them all together. But, but also, there's the... I would also add that, like, Thanksgiving thing with the, the sweet potatoes, but, like, also with like marshmallows and sugar and more sugar. Yeah, what? that's a bit of a and, weird like one. candied pecans. That's a, a Midwest way to serve sweet potatoes on Thanksgiving is to put a layer of bagged marshmallows across the top and then bake it so that they like roast. And you add brown sugar too and like sometimes like candied pecans. Yeah. Okay. And you claim that it's a vegetable. Mm. Yeah, I'm not I'm, I will admit I'm not a huge sweet potato fan. I, I'm going to blow the two of you out of the water with my recipe, with my answer here. One fear. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom made something called alligator pie, uh, in which you take buttered noodles, you cook them and butter them, uh, egg noodles, and you put them in between two pie plates until they cool and the noodles form a pie crust, into which you put ground beef mixed with ketchup and mustard we were so close here and we were two so american close. cheese slice and and two american cheese slices all mixed together <laughs> and then across the top you cover it with more american cheese slices until it is in, until there is a perfect covering of cheese and then you put it back in the oven just long enough for the cheese to melt and then you cut it 
I was like, this is weird, but it's not like bad. And then, and then you kept talking. Yep. I love it. It's delicious, but there's, there's some stuff going on with that one. It starts out sneaky. You don't think it's that bad. And, and then it, it just uh, keeps going. Just to like refresh your brain and do this thing. My grandmother has like a, a recipe called like, she calls them like million dollar chocolate chip cookies, which is just like her life hacking her way to like, Somehow getting like a gross of cookies out of like a single batch. Truly amazing <laughs> stuff. My grandmother is a wizard. Speaking of uh, disgusting recipes and chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> let's talk about the suburbs. All right. Yeah. Uh, this episode, this week, we're talking about two episodes. The first of which is episode six of season two, The High Road, written by, oh boy, here we go, Nick Van Zibroek. And Michael Sopinski, feel so, okay about I think that you gotta do the. I think it's Sopinski. I think Sopinski. I, I think there's an H sound in there somewhere. Yeah. Having there's a lot of consonants. Before. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. There's like seven con- consonants in a row and two vowels in that whole name. So we apologize to fuck the Dutch you, Eastern and the Polish. Europe. Yeah. Uh, directed by Felix Alcala. The number of the week episodes live and die by their bit. Some die, like when the number is a boring, shitty mob enforcer and you don't care about literally anyone in the episode and nothing fun happens. And then there are episodes where the number is a guy living in the burbs, so John Fake proposes to Zoe and they take Bear for a car ride. Yes, this really happens and it's magical. Said number is Graham Weiler, a former pro safecracker who changed his name and ditched his crew but they've tracked him down and want him back for another job and a bit of revenge. John and Zoe slide into his community and his life in time to prevent any collateral damage and for John to be ready to help when they force him with threats against his kid to help with their scheme. Though John saves the day, Graham ends up turning himself in rather than continue to live a secret life. He ends up getting house arrest for turning himself in and testifying against his crew. In the flashback for this episode, we see the machine setting Finch up with his future wife, Grace, which is both heartwarming and heartbreaking. I want to emphasize that this summary does nothing to capture how good this episode is. There are so many dumb, great little bit moments in this episode, like when Finch comes to set up security on Graham's house and and Reese is like, gently bossing him around it's zoe great. whooping john at poker the 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 sexual tension <laughs> while, smoke, while smoking the fattest stove yeah the, for <laughs> for a scene with a guy that notoriously refused to have any sexual tension ever the sexual tension in that scene is thick enough to cut with a butter knife yeah we thank you Paige turco for your service yeah um I also really like when Bear just like frolics out of the car into the house because he's just clearly just been like, I have been in the car too long. I am ready to play. Also, the number for this week is Roy from The Office. Yeah, that should be noted. Uh, I hate The Office, so I I, I didn't even realize that. But yes, I, I do, too. But this dude has imprinted on me. Like, I know he's done other stuff and like, fine, whatever. It's nothing that I care about. Has he? I know that he has. David Denman, like he, like I, I, he's in Mayor of Easton, which I don't, I, I didn't watch. 
Um, he's played a dad in a lot of stuff because he just, once he got out of the office, he just had dad energy, but like nothing else. Like, Oh, he was in parenthood. My, I, I know people who watched that. I did. not Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where, do, where do we start with this? Is it, um, well, let's, let's start with the fact that they determine that the number is in the burbs. And so Finch <laughs> who I think is a little bit of a goblin sometimes. His immediate thought is, after having just sent Reese off on a fake dating, is immediately like, well, now we definitely have to get you fake married. And it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, like, he's- because Reese comes in with like a parking, ticket a parking ticket for having like, in his attempts to surveil the number. Yeah. And he like comes in, puts the parking ticket down. Finch is like, what you want me do do you need me to pay for this out of petty cash um you can't handle this and and you know reese is like it was difficult in the suburbs and finch is like fine i bought you a house (laughs) he's like i i find it really funny that like i mean this just speaks to like how how people who live in proper cities act John has never gotten a parking t- ticket in New York, apparently. <laughs> Which is funny because I've seen where he parks his car sometimes. Yeah. Well, see, it's never his car. I think he was. I don't think he was as disgruntled by the parking ticket as he was by the fact that he was sussed in about eight seconds simply for being there. Yeah. Not because he was doing. Yeah. Like he he can't surveil anybody in the suburbs because he stands out. Simply by existing, and and he and he wasn't able to con himself out of the parking ticket. Like I think normally he has like a sort of thing of like, yeah, yeah, it's only like just here for a minute. You know, I'm acting as drivers for somebody or like some sort of like shtick. Yeah, but here he wasn't able to talk his way out of it at all. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think Reese gives a shit about getting parking tickets. He just gives them to he just pays them with Finch's money. I think what he resents is that he got it because you know that the like. If he comes back to his car and there's a parking ticket on ticket on it, I'm sure he doesn't care. Yeah, but it was but well, the he fact was that in he, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love that his first instinct is to get Zoe and to like literally fake propose to Zoe is they had way too much fun with this episode. Is I think what God, I'm yeah, what no. I what I'm getting at. Our two writers were just like fuck it, fake married, fake married. Yeah. I here's I'm going to I'm going to throw a gauntlet down. I would bet anything that at least one of these two has written fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. This sh- this episode has some real, like, coffee shop AU vibes to it. It, it. Yeah, it's a really, like, it's batshit that, like, John and Zoe fake Mary and move to the suburbs to look into an identity theft who used to be a a safe cracker is just like the the wildest of, uh, like description you could give for like oh yeah domestic suburb AU. Yeah. yeah, I have two bear points that I want to bring up. The first is that John eats bears treats. <laughs> yes, which is the funniest. It's just like like Harold tries to stop him and he's like oh yeah, and John's like these are bad and and it's like and Harold just like I don't have the time to explain this and I don't want yeah. to. Um, the second is that it took one car ride for Zoe to be like, 
I'm considering killing you to take the dog when we divorce. (laughs) (laughs) Bear has uh, a a functionally infinite charisma check. He just, everybody that interacts with Bear immediately wants to, to be his best friend. Oh, and the poker thing where she's like, in and out dear yeah <laughs> she's like dude there oh, there is no way the two of them did not absolutely wreck that house with their feral <laughs> fucking i i know that like re i mean there's just no way the two of them knocked boots in every on every surface of that house <laughs> oh yeah i mean you you gotta christen all the rooms in a new house Okay, I have a very silly thing, but what of the crew that like what what of like Graham's old crew looks like a low budget Roy Kent? Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the okay, exact same thought. It's like just put on a little bit of a British accent and say "fuck a lot." Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, and here's the part where I blow Jude's mind. An actor in this episode was in the 1984 Dune. I have no earthly idea who this could be um so the wife the wife yeah so like alicia witt who plays connie the wife she plays that's alicia witt? Atreides. oh man that's <laughs> wild he is <laughs> I told you this is a <laughs> that's bananas I was like, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, uh, you know, it's like, it's that's what I do when I'm like, okay, I've seen this scene before, I know what it is. I go on IMDb and I just start clicking names, and I was like, oh, that's legitimately bananas. Wow, huh? All right. <laughs> I, I love this episode. Um, yeah. This is one of those feel good episodes where. When I want to watch TV, this is, uh, I'm going to drop a Gilmore Girls reference. Not unlike the way that I will put on the Bracebridge dinner when I want to watch an episode of Gilmore Girls that is just dumb and rewatchable. This is one of those episodes that I will put on for person of interest because it's just good. It's just fun to watch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are episodes later on in the season that I think are better episodes, but oh yeah, this is absolutely a top three number of the week episode for me. It's a yeah. delight. That's what it's, it's a, a lot delight. Of fun. I you know it it doesn't it, it it you know the plot episodes are so compelling. It has trouble keeping up with those. But in terms of like delightful episodes, just fun delightful episodes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you know what I want now? This sidebar. I really want this episode as a strange new worlds episode. <laughs> you, you just, you I just, just want, want some the, fake married on the, strange new worlds. I'm sure it'll happen at some point. Um, I, I, there's a lot of little things that I like in this episode too. Like I, I actually really like um, the numbers wife. Like she has some really good <laughs> lines that I enjoy. There's one where the number is like, angry and clearly hiding something and um she's trying to like discuss the car rental because their car was just set on fire she's like if there's something you feel you can't tell me about get over it yeah which is is a a great line uh not only is it a great line but i think it's a great like it's it's a great line 
like in abstract, but it's also a great line for that couple and to show like mm-hmm. what kind of relationship they have. Yeah. It, it Obviously. does, un- it, it, there's good writing is when a single line does a lot more work, does a lot of work in one line. Right. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a good example where that one line tells you about her character, about their relationship it really like sets an entire tone for that that their dynamic which i think is fantastic yeah and and i feel like it's a very different tone from like what you'd often expect in an episode like this um yeah. that like she's she she's not like under any illusions that something is going on and she's like I I need to know about this, buddy. She's not some simpering housewife. Right. She's she's like, yeah. look, I'm not an idiot. There's something going on. You need to get over it and like bring me in on this so we can fucking deal with it. And I think that plays into his whole like, like, oh, you know, are they going to, you know, what's going to happen if I tell them if like, it's like, man, you married a, a pretty awesome partner, like who clearly is... <laughs> you know, willing to work with you on this stuff. Like just fucking solve your problems. Don't be such a goofy nanny. Yeah. It's very refreshing, honestly. We're going to talk about this in the next episode, in the next episode in critical uh, about the fact that like person of interest for a show in 2000, goddamn 12 is low key. Really good at like good progressive characterization without making a fucking thing about it. There's some verisimilitude to certain like castings and dynamics that I really yeah. enjoy. Well, the next episode, just to kind of, just to make my point here. Yeah. We'll, we'll get, we'll get to yeah. that when we get yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. There is one joke that is aged like a fine wine in the last 10 years, which is Harold saying that, that the, the, the place where the jewel heist is going down has a smart home like sweet so That's it's right. going to be easy to find an exploit boy woof that that is aged like mccallan 15 yeah <laughs> what prescience um we do have one one final thing that we need to talk about with this episode is what are people's feelings on ambrosia um i don't know if this is just like a midwest east coast thing but i have never had it Interesting. I have seen it at gatherings, but I have never tried it. I feel like I should to complete my my transformation yeah. into a Midwesterner. Uh, but I will grant you, it looks, and this is this is speaking as someone who literally just described a an American <laughs> cheese abomination and who willingly will eat damn near anything with sugar in it. Uh, I have a a, a thoroughly atrocious palette i it looks pretty awful to me but i really should just give it a shot it's a passable dessert it is not a salad it's it's in the same class as the like sweet potato stuff where like it's served Mm -hmm. like like it's fruit or like a vegetable or like a salad but it's it's a dessert like yeah it's it's not bad Mm -hmm. like it's like you know if you like marshmallow fluff and canned fruit you'll probably be pretty happy with it i do like both of those things it's basically just like yeah, you dump I mean, a whole bunch of canned fruit into marshmallow fluff and stir it up i and can then, fuck with that and then put marshmallows in and 
that's it. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. That seems fine. Yeah, I mean, that's, the, yeah. It just looks a little bit too much it, like it looks potato rough. salad. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, it looks rough. Have you, are you familiar with the uh, 50s recipe? One of those 50s recipes that makes the rounds on social media periodically involving a banana and ham and mustard? <laughs> I, I i'm aware of it. i'm also aware i try not to remember it uh a friend of mine uh threatened to cook it at uh at a friend's giving a couple of years ago and i called his I bluff mean, on it i was like do it you make it uh if you make it i'll eat it if you do too and he was like no that's fine <laughs> it was <laughs> i i really hoped someone would because some of these old 50s recipes are so fucking bonkers and I say that, and then I my fl- I immediately flash back to, like the last time I was on TikTok. Yeah, and I, I some of the recipes you see on TikTok are also pretty bug nuts. Yeah, so. this is, ambrosia salad yeah. is like one of those things where like it's one of the it's one of the like fifty. It has at least the vibe of one of the 50s recipes that like survived because it's like actually edible, and like if you like sugar, you'll like it. It has some weird textural like things sugar. going with like, you know, the fruit versus the marshmallow fluff. And then there's like generally some like coconut and possibly some pecans in there. But like, OK, I draw the line at coconut. I don't fuck with coconut. I don't like my food to taste like my suntan lotion. Well, you don't have to put it in, though. I've had I've had ambrosia with or without coconut. Uh, We have wandered very slightly off of the topic. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Oh, the we need to talk about the machine uh, wingmanning. Finch. Yes. Yeah. So we see, first of all, um, the machine IDing and revealing to Harold that Nathan has been cheating on his wife. Yep. Like a dick. (laughs) Whether that's the machine or Nathan, that's up to you. But um, and then, yeah, like forcefully, like sending Grace's name repeatedly to Harold. And Harold's like, this is a bug, obviously. But then... He just like, fuck it, I'm going to talk to this person. Yeah, because the machine knows. And I think it, it's it's a subtly compelling bit of storytelling there that the machine has learned enough about how people work and it knows enough about Finch that it knows that Grace is the per- is. I mean, I don't really believe in like the only one person for any one person, but he, it, it has identified because it sees everything that this is a person for Finch. Yeah. That this is a person that is compatible with him. And I think that's buck wild that he has designed. He has, I mean, if you need an example of like a legitimate artificial intelligence, like how do you, how, how in God's name would you like program something to do that? It would. Yeah. But also can you imagine the secondary use of the machine as like, the neural fucking, net behind okay cuban i was gonna say like <laughs> screw national security as like a a highly effective dating service i mean he's already richer than god so who he doesn't really need it but i feel like he could have done as much or more good for these you know the people of the united states by being <laughs> a you know by preventing the rise of tinder and going and just connecting compatible people yeah it's and it's cute it's like it's you know i i would like to have an ai directing me to uh you know my most compatible person but you know unfortunately i live in a hellscape that is silicon valley where it's decided that 
we want to be do much worse things with our artificial intelligence. <laughs> That's right. There's there's robot dogs to put guns on, man. There's much we have more important things to 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 do. Hey, hey. That's Boston's fucking fault. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Don't you fucking put that on us. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the w- Silicon Valley has Google and Facebook to take the bl- to to to, uh, to own up to. Just a quick editor's note here. I believe that Facebook also, broadly speaking, is Boston's fault. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to say, the gun-toting dogs, that's Boston's fault. I would, uh, obligatory reminder that uh, robotic entities such as the gun-toting dogs are extremely difficult to ruggedize and are, you know, potentially easily uh, dismantled with, like, a bucket of muddy water. That's good to know. Yeah, good to know. It's it's very difficult to recognize robotics like that um, with all the like servos and stuff like that. Um, and this is one of the reasons that like that more things are not automated and have robots doing them, like um, like a lot of like farm stuff. Uh, I you know that's a good point. But as a, a programmer recently revealed, you can play Doom on a John Deere tractor. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I didn't even know that tractors needed to be jailbroken. That was a, a fucking oh, revelation for me. Oh, you hadn't heard of um, that? We do not have time on this podcast to talk about the bullshit that is the John Deere Corporation. Well, now I know because I went down a, a, a half hour rabbit hole and now I've learned a lot about it. But at the time, no, I did not know that John Deere tractors are more locked down than a fucking iPhone. Yep. Let's uh, let's move on to our next episode. All right. This one. This one's me. So this is season two, episode seven, Critical, written by Sean Hennon and directed by Fred Toy. So first we have we have multiple numbers this, this episode. The first number is a repeat. Uh, Leon Tao is in trouble again. Yay! Uh, <laughs> I love, love Leon. Love to see it. Love to see he's it. so good. He gets thrown out a fucking window. <laughs> Uh, turns out he's been gold farming in an MMO and is in trouble with the Russian mob. God, remember the days when gold farming was the worst digital nonsense currency <laughs> you had to worry about? Oh, those were the days. Um, but but right? the, the boys don't have any time to deal with him for now. Uh, so because they've got another number. So he gets to spend some time in protective custody, locked in the library, uh, guarded by Bear, his best friend. I love. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. I just love that, like, they have determined that Leon is too, st- I, like, nobody gets into the library except for Leon, who apparently, despite the fact that he's like, He's actively an idiot. They're just like, we have determined that this person is not a threat to us. Maybe they think he's like, they haven't even brought Carter to the goddamn library. But they bring Leon Tao to the library. They decided to leave Leon there with all the guns. Yeah. All the guns and all of the computers and all this stuff. I mean, well, at, at first it is. Bear, Bear is involved in keeping, making sure that yeah. Leon does not. Get if you near touch the computers, computers uh, Bear will eat you. Yeah, but I mean, like they leave him there with them, and but I just think it's funny that like nobody else gets to be left in the library <laughs> with like hot they leave Leon of there. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Which, oh. <laughs> Can you imagine the smell? <laughs> uh. Vividly. 
Smells like college. <laughs> anyway, John and Harold head to their next number. Nellen um, Enright, who's a world-class surgeon about to perform a procedure on a very paranoid CEO, one Oliver Belt, which my brain continuously autocorrects to Adrian Veidt. So... Same. Oh, my God. That is... I couldn't remember the first name, but I kept... Con- Correcting yeah. Velt to Vite yep. when I was reading the notes. I was like, where am I getting Vite from? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? But th- thus begins the problem. Um, Maddie receives a visit from a Alistair Wesley who threatens to kill her wife, Amy, unless she botches the surgery and kills Velt. Uh, Reese takes out the sniper targeting Amy, but it turns out he's not the only one and Amy is still at risk. There's a whole team out there. So John meets with Wesley, uh, but doesn't get any meaningful information other than that he's former MI6. Wesley escapes, leaving John and Harold needing to come up with a new plan. New plan being, Harold goes in to help as an assisting surgeon. With time running out, Madeline performs the first step of the sabotage, administering a massive dose of anticoagulant. Leon helps with the research to unearth the conspiracy to kill Velt, uh, while Fusco helps Reese to get Amy to safety, and Harold helps Madeline save her patient's life. Wesley congratulates Reese on his victory over the phone and suggests that they get a drink sometime in the future. In the B-plot, Fusco and Carter find a corpse with empty pockets, except for Carter's business card. Carter has never met the man uh, and begins to investigate his death. It turns out he was a janitor at a tech company until he was killed by Agent Snow, who Cutter runs into at said tech company. She follows him and realizes that he is wearing a bomb vest. Uh, Snow cryptically states that something big is happening and she won't stop, then escapes when the hall light is shot out. Later, Carter discusses all of this with John, who cautions her to think carefully about whether she actually wants more info. John and Harold both don't have anyone left in their lives who they care about, except each other. Uh, well, Carter has her son. And Bear. And that's and that's the episode. So the thing I was going to point out about this episode uh, a little yeah. bit earlier that I really like about this episode, and we don't have to get deep into it, I just think it's cool, is... The hypercompetent surgeon is a black woman who is a lesbian, and none of this is commented yeah. on. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I and and this is from 2012. And it's not like 2012 was like the 80s, yeah. right? But it was long enough ago that I think it's, you know, and this was this is this show was on fucking yeah. CBS. CBS to this day cannot stop pulling its own pud when they put the the slightest bit of progressive stuff on on their things like oh look we've got a gay you know like so i think the fact that this show was just including you know a a a married lesbian couple without any kind of commentary on it i think is really uh speaks to the uh intentions of the writers yeah which i like jude you had a question about the 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 villain in this episode that if they are ever used again the answer is no. Which is so disappointing to me because like this episode well, is like, and we'll be seeing him again. And it's like setting up like what you think is going to be like Justin? the big bad for the end of the season. Yeah. I think we have to headphones. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, well, I'm, what I'm saying is, or, or I, I put it in the notes here. They do refine the operator running like extremely complicated hits again. And they refine the idea a little bit more. But, like, this specific dude doesn't come back. 
into but this specific character. They refined this whole concept into another character later on. I mean, yeah, they they turn. Okay, sorry. No, we're headphones. This... We're headphones for like a bit here. Yeah. Well, we're gonna do do like sixty seconds. Are you talking about Greer or the rand the rando like serial killer like dude? Greer. Okay, because I was thinking no, about like definitely I was Greer. thinking about like a serial killer dude because that's like because that's just random dude who no, gets hot. No. That's because that's the there's like that cop there's like that guy who does like who does like basically numbers for hire. Yeah, no, no, not not that. No, I'm talking about my question was when I watched this episode, I always look look at him as like they did this character and then decided they wanted to take it in a slightly different direction and turned him into Greer. I generally think like of Greer as like the sort of the evolution of like the the office of general counsel character. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Just like that gov- that government shadowy figure just given an agenda. Well, I mean, and given that Greer's going to show up really soon, I always sort of con- I I always sort of associate those two. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly I don't I don't like consider it because like Greer is tied to the meta plot whereas this guy is just doing numbers. He's just a mercenary. Yeah, see, my thought was were they was this guy going to be Greer? Mm. Okay. In the sense that like and then but then they decided to take the character of Greer in a slightly different direction, so they just jettisoned this one and then just brought Greer in and ran with it from there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, fair. Yeah. Another note on um, our, 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 our bad guy, Wesley, who like surprisingly is played by a guy named Julian Sands, who has like this like f- level of familiarity, like a feel of familiarity to him. But as it turns out, like the only thing I've watched that he was in was the Jackie Chan adventures. And I was like 10 Really? Shut the front door. Like, oh, he was in like 26 episodes of the Jackie Chan Adventures. But that's all he's, he's done? Like, he's, he's done a we bunch would know? of stuff. It's just like nothing that I've watched, which is so funny because it's like, like, like he was in an episode of Castle. He was in two episodes of Smallville as Superman's father. I've never watched Smallville, but that's just like, um, but he's like done nothing. I would have sworn on a fairly good stack of money that this guy had done something I recognized him from. It might be from. like, yeah, he's got this like feeling like he feels like a, reti- he feels like a, like a bond villain from one of the more forgettable movies. To me, he reminds me at least in terms of like looks of the protagonist from that, like cursed short lived Roddenberry show with like the, the like alien arm weapon. Does oh, anybody yeah. else remon- remember that show? Sorry, no. Man, he's been busy. Yeah, Jesus he Christ. Is the, he is the, the epitome of our trope of British actors never say no to a job. Um, uh, yeah. Is, I'm like, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm only in like 2008 and I'm like, I have scrolled a oh, lot. He, and I'm he just, does have a role, which I do not remember, but he is the doci of the Ori in the last two seasons of Stargate. I don't remember the I I I've forgotten <laughs> everything about the ORI. Sorry. He was That's the good. voice of Lancelot in Biker Mice from Mars. I have not seen Biker Mice from Mars. Well, that's your fucking problem. Um, Earth Final Conflict. I'm pretty sure that he wasn't like I'm pretty sure that it's not the same person, but like looks-wise it's surprisingly close, I think, based on my recollection from like 20 years ago. There's somebody that I am thinking of when I look at him. That I don't think actually is him. He's like 
Um, the guy who played um, the Narn War leader, who played uh, the guy from Buffy. Um, God. <laughs> Robin Sachs? Robin Sachs. He's got big Robin Sachs energy. Yes. Except like, yeah. Yes, he does. That's who I'm like, thinking instead of. Instead of being like, like a weird villain, he's like MI6. Yeah. Yeah, but he has that he has that look. He also has um some some similarities to another villainous role of a criminal mastermind who is played by a British actor. Um he addresses Reese over the phone as Mr. Mystery Guest. And uh which is how Hans Gruber addresses John McClane at Die Hard. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um and he takes umbrage at being called the common thief. Which, wow. That can't be accidental. Oh, no. that, that's something you throw in Love for fun. It. Yeah. He does just like, he, he's just a fun character. And who knows? Maybe it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, we can never get him again. Or we read. Jude and I have a theory about like, have two, th- two different theories about how they reuse the idea for this character. Interesting. Interesting. I find it very funny just because it's like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we had two entirely different ideas. Well, and I mean, speaking of speaking of things where TV was different in 2012 than it is now, that I feel like I feel like a show now could not get away with the the way that this, this episode ends, which is like almost a promise to bring this dude back, like this yes. specific dude. Um, yeah. Well, in the streaming. They wouldn't. They, it wouldn't have been a problem because they would have filmed the whole season at a run. They would have like locked him in for the whole season or something like that. It like it just. It, they would have. It's just yeah. It, it's interesting. You're right. Yeah. Like the way streaming t- has changed expectations and film and filmmaking for television is you don't have. It's just different. I mean, yeah. That was a lot of words to say. Yes, I agree with you. <laughs> People, none of which like, went anywhere. Flip out at the at the like dropped dropped thread yeah fucking entitled <laughs> go write Wangs. a fanfic if it bothers you that much <laughs> uh, no they don't deserve to use fan fiction a fan fiction is for everyone except for you know but i i, I will let it if fan people fiction is for them. everyone unless except for except for shitty yeah except for shitty shitty people. goblins i i always forget the nurses there <laughs> Like the nurse yeah. is in on it. Uh, like every time it gets me and I'm just like, oh, except this is this is funny because I managed to clock both the fake cop and the nurse in my first watch through of this. The fake cop That's is funny. really like the fake cop is easier to see. The spot. fake cop is very obvious. I am a New York cop. But the, the nurse. Are you not convinced by my my New York copness? <laughs> the nurse is like. <laughs> way too into this surgery <laughs> and and i was like Whoa, something something's weird about this character and i was like ha i'm vindicated harold taking her out with like the overhead light is is like at t- it, like it is both very heroic and very funny and then the fact that they have to crack the cr- they have to crack the dude's rib cage and like massage his heart to get it started again and <laughs> Finch's reaction to it is so good. Yeah, and and like extremely genuine. I feel. Like. Yeah, that's. Ex- I mean, that's much how I would do it. How I would be reacting. I don't. Bodies are gross. Meat is a poor platform for human intelligence, and I don't ever want to be massaging someone's heart to keep them alive. <laughs> this episode really just makes me want Leon to be like a regular. Maybe not a main cast 
member, but like a frequent like recurring yeah, I think they call recurring, that um even more because like he actually does a good job even though he's like a goblin yeah yeah where are you in the show I have not watched past um the the one that I'll, we all watched together okay so I won't make you headphones again but we'll just leave it at that mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I I do enjoy Leon every time we get him same um and especially in this one where we do get to see that he's not actually completely incompetent. He just has really poor judgment. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, his problem is not that he's that he's incompetent. It's that he makes poor decisions. He's not an idiot savant. He's a dumbass savant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, his computer skills here, you know, at least in some facets, like, rival or exceed Harold's. Yeah. Which is why it was like it'd be interesting having him. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily that they rival that they rival or exceeds Harold's. It's that he's familiar, like he knows a lot of the forensic accounting stuff. Yeah, he age he age gaps Harold a little bit, where he's he's familiar with some of this like newer stuff, where Harold's a little bit more of the like old school stuff. Yeah, and and like he's having fun with it and everything too. So it's like, yeah. come on, guys, you know, keep him around, just like you know. Maybe maybe keep an ankle monitor on him or something. Yeah, right. I'm just like a little doggy clicker just when he when he's getting too off track. <laughs> Two I know that faces that actually made a thing that, that we're just this guy feels really familiar and I don't know what it is. The hospital admin who gives Harold and John a walkthrough is played by Jeffrey Cantor. Um he played the editor of whatever the paper is in Daredevil. I can't remember it. I d- That's not the Daily it's Bugle. It's not the Daily Bugle. It's basically the Daily Bugle. <laughs> it's not the Daily Bugle. It's the Daily Bugle's rival, which is which is a carryover from the comics. It's the New York Bulletin. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. He has a tremendous beard in Daredevil. Yeah. I can't remember if he has the beard in the, in this episode. It's but. It, yeah. He, I think he's got some. Yeah, and he's got like he's got a lovely voice, even yeah. if it's like mostly being annoyed at other people. The Doctor is played by Sharon Leal, who in Supergirl played Miss Martian, uh, Megan. Morse. Really? Yeah, which was like, oh, huh. Interesting. Also, I have a question. Why does a sniper need a bulletproof vest? <laughs> this feels like overdressing for a job. Yeah, a little bit. Like, why do you need a full tack vest for being a sniper? It, it's, it really feels like, it feels like Alistair Wesley overbooked this event. I mean, <laughs> he still fucks up. You know, there's the, there's the thing where like sometimes you just look into your closet and you're like, gosh, I haven't worn that in a while. I should bring it out today. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's a pair of boots. Sometimes it's sometimes a sweater. It's a sometimes it's a tactile tactical vest yeah, sometimes, yeah it's level three kevlar yeah makes sense to me and i do love that like alistair wesley is like oh yes we met it we met it uh we met in the bosphorus in that market and it's like it's such a like a quick dip into like some ridiculous spy tropes it's like yeah alistair wesley needs an umbrella to walk with it feels like he just needs that for like <laughs> just that little bit of extra yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like he's. It really does feel like he's just walked out of a. Uh, what is it, John Lacar, or John however Lacar. that's pronounced? Uh, I literally have only ever seen it written, so I it's, have no idea. 
uh, you know, for a long time, same. Uh, it looks, I mean, it, he really could have been a, uh, a character in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah. Like, but not the one where like every famous British actor was hired. One of the TV ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The superior TV ones. Yeah. The one we're never mind. You don't need to hear my thoughts on, on which. I don't know. I like the one with where we, where we see, uh, Tom Hardy, uh, make it from the waist down and have Kieran Hines in it. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for it to go that way. I was going to say, I like the old one that's got, or the eighties, not the seventies, the eighties. Which one? Yeah. It's, it's like, cause there's so many adaptations of that. Cause it's just like, it's, it's like, it's like I have to look how many up. adaptations there are of murder on the Orient express too. Uh, the TV series was, no, I was right. Alec Guinness. 79 with Alec Guinness. Yeah. If you haven't watched that one, I highly recommend it. It's really, really good slash bananas. <laughs> uh, we, we also, I think have to discuss Leon and Bear. Yes. Oh my gosh. Originally, it's just like this, this conflict of Bear just being like, grr. And the, the episode ends with like Leon giving him cup of noodles. <laughs> oh my gosh can you imagine the dog farts from cup of noodles i I am i am just like (laughs) i can't even imagine that it's so traumatic it'd be rough there's a there's an earlier point where he does he feed bear a hot pocket or just offer bear the hot pocket he he offers the (laughs) but that's because but that's like before they've come to their like new relationship (laughs) Yeah, it's right before it's right before like, he, like Harold's like put me on speakerphone on stop <laughs> <laughs> and bear and it like tells bear to relax in Dutch and bear's just like okay <laughs> yeah oh what uh, a good boy yeah uh, dogs are great <laughs> oh fun thing the the paper that um, shows like the that that velt like survived the operating and is opening up like an offshore wind farm. The article was written by Maxine Angelis. Oh, that's fun. Hmm. Yeah. Apparently I looked into this during the episode. That name had been dropped in a couple headlines before that episode. Interesting. I wonder if it was just a name that somebody put in, in like the production stuff and it just became like a thing. And they're like, Oh, Hey, we'll pull that out eventually. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, Fun little Easter egg there, and we get and we get continuation of the like the behind the scenes uh, Kara Snow plot. Yeah, that's gonna cook for a little bit more. Yeah, and then perhaps explode. Badunch. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be here all night. Uh, do we got anything else I'm gonna talk about with this one? Don't think so. I think we're good. All right. So. Next time, we are going to be covering episodes eight and nine of season two, Till Death and COD. Until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license.